where does life feel like right now that change can't happen? Where do you feel like in your life that there's an area maybe that is kind of stuck, that you want change to happen, you want to experience something to be different than it is, and yet it does feel in some way kind of stuck? That might be financially that you feel like there's, there's debt or there's kind of an area in your life that you're like, man, if we just had enough money but we're stuck, I can't figure out how to handle it and the, the bills just keep piling on. It might be uh, physically you may feel sickness and, and uh, be kind of plagued with chronic pain or chronic issues and you may feel like I, I want change to happen but it feels like no change can happen in this Area, I know I've prayed for some of you about that. It may be even with uh, infertility and pregnancy and feeling like change can't happen there. It may be with sin in your life, that you desire there to be change. You want to grow. You want to experience more of the fruit of the Spirit. You want to be more loving or gentle or patient or whatever it is. You want that change to happen, but you feel stuck. You feel like change can't take place. It might not be for you. It might be for somebody else. It might be a relationship, and then you want that relationship to get better. It might be for a spouse or for a child, and you may want something to happen in their life, and it's not happening. It feels like change can't happen. It may be for all sorts of things, for your marriage, for your work. It may be goals that you have in life. It may be that you're single and desire to get married. It may be all sorts of things areas where we say, I want change to happen, but we wonder, can it happen? Can change actually take place, or is it too late? Will it ever happen? Is there a certain key that if I had could give power for this area to kind of unlock and be able to experience change in? We try a lot of different things, but often find that we're still where we are, and we want change to happen. I want you to think about some area in your life. And, and for different people, it might be different things. Maybe you've got a whole list of them. But, but I would like you to try to think of something. And if you're at home by yourself, you can even just say it out loud so that uh, you, know, you just kind of commit. Here's the thing. I, I would like change. I guess you can say it here under your mask. Most people probably won't be able to hear you. But what's an area of change that you want to see? Whether, again, it's for you or a relationship that you're wanting to see, internal, external. What's an area that you wish that change could happen, but you're not sure it can? If we're honest, we're really not sure. We may have tried all sorts of things. And think for a moment what life would be like if it did change. What would life be like if that thing, that emotional thing, that physical thing, that spiritual thing. Think about what would happen if that did change. What would happen in your life? What would be the ramifications? What would be the effects? What would be the, the ripples that going through your life or other people's lives if that thing could change? We, we want things to change. What if it was possible. Some of you right now probably, and I know because I'm a pastor and I talk with some of you and I pray with some of you, some of you are suffering right now. And you're experiencing pain and wondering if things can change. Some of you, it's not for you, it's for another person. And that's a form of suffering in itself where you, you feel, man, I want this person 
to change. Not just because they're annoying you, but because there's certain things that you go, man, I want God to show up in their life. Some of you, it's for another person. Some of you, it's for yourself. Some of you, maybe you haven't even thought about it. I'm kind of bringing it to the, to the forefront because you've kind of just given up, whether you've realized you've given up or not, but it's just because this is just the norm now. You've kind of just lived with whatever this thing is, and, and it's just the norm. It's just kind of what's expected. It's, it's become a term that we've used a lot, the new normal for you. And so you don't even so much think about it of like, what if this could change or what if this could happen because it just is life. Some of you, maybe even life is going great. Life is going well. But we need to know what to do when those things come into our life, which happens often. What to do when those things come into our life that we want change to take place. And, and for some of you, maybe you're not even a Christian today. You're here, you're, you're exploring faith, you're interested in Jesus, you're interested in God. You're, you're, maybe this is kind of your last, your last chance of trying out something spiritual and, and you are interested in seeing, can God do something about this thing in my life? Maybe that's even some of you online and that's why you're online. Is It's an easy step to kind of explore spirituality in God. But what if... Whatever that thing is for you, what if there's some sort of power, what if there's some sort of power that can bring about change? Hope for wherever you are stuck. And we're going to look at a few different stories in the Gospel of Luke. We're going through a series, probably for the majority of this year, looking at the book of Luke. We started it last year. And then there was some hiccups last year. I don't know if any of you felt those, but then we kind of returned to it this year. And these stories that we're going to look at help us see what God says is possible, which is through the power of Jesus, things can change. And it's intended to build hope for whatever it is that we're going through. It's intended to build faith in whatever it is that we're going through. We'll look at these together, but... We're going to see what the power is that Jesus has and how it is that we get it and how we respond to that. So I'm going to read these stories. It's going to be somewhat lengthy, so hang in there, whether you got your Bible with you or on the screen. We're going to look at these stories, and then together we'll look at what this shows us about the power for change in our life. Three different snapshots. Here we go. It says this, then they, that would be Jesus and his disciples, then they sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When he, Jesus, got out on land, a demon-possessed man from the town met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes and did not stay in a house but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said in a loud voice, what do you have to do with me, Jesus? That would be the demon speaking. Now, let me just, we're going to keep going in just a second, but let me just pause for a second because immediately in Denver in 2021, we can't just say, oh yeah, so there's a demon-possessed man that's naked and living in the cemetery, and let's just kind of move on with, you know, just other normal things. But what's interesting is this, even though demons feels really weird and are, should we believe in demons and are, maybe you're not a Christian and you're skeptical of the spiritual world, maybe you are a Christian and you believe it just because you kind of go, yeah, I guess I believe that, but don't necessarily ever think about that that much. 
Here's what I find interesting. Over and over again, our culture, whether it's in movies or stories or all sorts of things, returns to the idea of the spiritual and the demonic. And there's something, even if you're not a Christian, there's something in us that is at least fascinated and interested and scared by and spooked by or, or just has kind of a, I believe, kind of a cultural memory of the spiritual world beyond just what we see. That even though we might be materialistic and think what we see is what we get, there's still something in our stories, there's still something in the dark that kind of freaks us out that there is a spiritual world that exists. And for Christians, we believe, the Bible says, that there are spiritual beings, that there are angels, and that there are demons. And that demons can be at work in people's life to a degree that they have so much been involved with someone that you could use the language demon-possessed, or really that the word that is used here really just means demonized, which would mean to be kind of affected, influenced, um, oppressed, attacked by demons. So there's a man here that for a long time has been demonized. He has been oppressed and tormented and influenced by the demonic spiritual world, and it affects his life. He's wearing no clothes and he's living in a cemetery. That's not probably most of you here today. Maybe only a third of you have had that experience. But that is what has happened. His life is messed up. His life is broken. His life is isolated. His life is, has been completely ruined. And he sees Jesus, and this is interesting, by the way, Demons know who Jesus is. Almost always in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, demons are the ones that actually know who Jesus is first. The demon runs up to Jesus and falls down and says, what do you have to do with me, Jesus? Son of the most high God is what he's going to say next. Demons know who Jesus is. And some of you need to hear this. There's not equal and opposite forces. There isn't good and evil, and it's these kind of like two equal opposite forces. God versus Satan, the duel of the ages. It's not like that. The demon sees Jesus and falls down and is going to say, hey, please don't hurt me. Jesus has power over the demonic world. It's not an equal opposite thing. It's not a close match. It's me versus you know, Mike Tyson or whoever, I don't know, that's the last time I've been interested in boxing. It's me versus, you know, whoever is really strong. So that, that's, that's what it is, okay? Here's what happens next. Son of the Most High God, I said that. I beg you, don't torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was guarded, bound by chains and shackles, he would snap the restraints. Demon, demons can give supernatural power. Some of you have probably witnessed something like this in your life and be driven by the demons into deserted places. What is your name? Jesus asked him. Legion, he said, because many demons had entered him. Legion was a Roman military term of about 6,000 soldiers. So when the demon is saying, we are legion, he is at least claiming, demons are liars, Satan is called the father of lies in the Bible, but he is at least claiming something to the extent of, whether it's exaggeration or he's trying to give an exact thing, there's a lot of us. There's a lot of us in here. And it says, many demons had entered him. So this, 
man does not just have one demon. There is a force. There is an army of demons affecting this person. And they begged him not to banish them to the abyss or to hell. Hell is not the place, by the way, that demons rule and reign and Satan is kind of king of. Hell is the ultimate punishment for, for everyone, including the demonic. They begged him not to banish them to the abyss. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him to permit them to enter the pigs, and he gave them permission. The demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the men who tended them saw what had happened, they ran off and reported it in the town and in the countryside. Now, this, there's a lot of questions that can come up from this little passage right here that we're not going to answer. I mean, you can look at, and, and really the Bible, that's not the point. The Bible's not really interested in it. But you can read this and go, so wait, why do the demons want to go into the pigs? Why, why are pigs better than, than just kind of floating? Demons don't like to float. They only like kind of bodies. Or why did, why did Jesus let them go into the pigs? Why didn't Jesus just say, no, to the abyss with you? Or after the 2,000 pigs died and they collected them, what does demon bacon taste like, right? There's a lot of, a lot of questions. I've never had demon pepperoni, but what? I don't think I have. Maybe I have. I don't, I don't know, right? There's a lot of questions that are kind of in there, but that's not really the point of the story. That's not really what... Uh, Luke is interested in helping us see, and so we're left with our curiosity, but we'll move on. Then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man the demons had departed from sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Meanwhile, the eyewitnesses reported to them how the demon-possessed man was delivered. Then all the people of the Gerasene region asked him, Jesus, to leave them because they were gripped by great fear. So getting into the boat, he returned. So sometimes we think, if I were to just see something supernatural, if I were just to see something amazing, if I could just see a few thousand demons leave one person and, and a bunch of pigs die, if I could just see something miraculous, then I would believe, then I would have faith, then, or if my friends could see that, then maybe they would believe, and that's not really what the Bible tells us. Over and over again, when people see Jesus do work, some believe, and some fear. Some say, I don't know what this is, but we don't want you here. Just because God shows up in power doesn't mean that people believe. Many people are afraid, and we don't know exactly why they are afraid. Maybe it's because they were pig farmers, and he ruined some economic position that they had, and they don't want him to do that more. Maybe it's because there's other people that are influenced by things that he doesn't want to deliver them from, and, and then maybe that would have other economic fallout. Maybe it's just because they're scared of that kind of power that would change something. But what's important to see is just because Jesus shows up with power in someone's life doesn't mean that we automatically fall down and worship. There can be different responses that our hearts create. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him earnestly to be with him, but he sent him away and said, go back to your home and tell all that God has done for you. And off he went, proclaiming throughout the town how much Jesus had done for him. This is just kind of a, a side note I think is important to point out here too. Jesus tells him, go tell all that God has done for you. And when the man goes, he proclaims how much Jesus had done for him. That Jesus is God. And this man recognizes something of that, maybe in nascent form, but still 
in his life. This is the first snapshot we see. Second, when Jesus returned, so he's over there in the Gerasene region, he comes here. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. I want you just to kind of think about this man. I have a 12-year-old daughter, my only daughter. Some of you have children. Some of you have daughters. Some of you just have um, kids in general, people that you love. And think about this man who is a leader, financially probably well-off, running, falling at Jesus' feet, his only daughter that he loves. His 12-year-old daughter is dying. How would you feel in that moment? He runs to Jesus and says, I need you to do something. I need you to do something about this. And while he was going, so Jesus accepts, the crowds were nearly crushing him. There's so many people. Jesus has gotten so popular by the things that he has done. The crowds are nearly crushing him. I I mean, this isn't great because obviously the people are different, but I always think of scenes from the Beatles or other, it seems like it's always boy bands, but people that are, you know, just pressing in on them and tearing off their, you know, shirt or whatever and just trying to get a piece of them. And people are crowding around. It's giving this image of crushing Jesus, pushing in on him because they want something from him. And a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. Again, think about that. Suffering. Maybe some of you have suffered like that with a condition that is just ongoing. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years, which in their culture, according to the law, also she would have been unclean, which means like the demon-possessed man, she would have been isolated from the community. It would not, she couldn't have been around people. She would have been unclean to touch. She wouldn't have been able to be married. She wouldn't have been able to have kids. She wouldn't have been able to really be at the synagogues or around other people. She would have been isolated and outcast. She had spent all she had on doctors. She's destitute. She's tried everything on doctors. She's gone to multiple specialists. Could not be healed by any. Approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. There's crowds of people crushing him. This woman reaches out. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Peter here to Pete Splain Jesus and kind of tell him, you know, I don't think you understand, Jesus. There's a lot of people crushing in on you. Jesus is like, okay, thanks, Pete. We appreciate your advice. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said, the worst bedside manner ever, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Can you imagine that? Hey, just so you know, your daughter's dead now, so stop annoying people. Just move on. 
And Jesus heard it. He answered him. He, he looks at the Father. Everyone, you know, imagine the situation here where Jesus is on his way with this man. Then the woman comes up. Then all of a sudden, the guy, the father's probably waiting. Come on, Jesus, let's go. We got to get to the house. Guy comes up, says, your daughter's dead. Leave Jesus alone. You're being annoying. Everyone probably in the crowd is kind of <gasps> gasping. And Jesus turns to the man and says to him, don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, this is kind of the inner circle of disciples that he is really developing, really pouring into, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her, but he said, stop crying. She's not dead, but asleep. Death to Jesus is simply but sleep. They laughed at him because they knew she was dead, so he took her by the hand and called out, child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. And in part, this is because their expectation, the Jewish expectation at this time of what a Messiah was, was really a, a conquering warrior that would come and overthrow the government, overthrow Rome. And so Jesus is a lot of times telling people, hey, don't tell anyone what just happened here. He, it's different when he tells the demon man, the demon possessed man, to go tell everybody because of the region that he is in. But here in the Jewish community, a lot of times he's kind of playing down a little bit that he is the Messiah because of their expectation of what that meant. Summoning the 12, he gave them, that's the 12 disciples, he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. I guess that was a strong temptation. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. He, he's really sending them on this mission to do the same thing that he has been doing, to heal, to preach. And he's kinda, it's kind of a quick mission in the sense of don't just stay in one place. I want many villages. I want many towns to be able to experience this. So the instructions that he give are instructions of dependence to rely on God for the provision, but also to kind of move quickly. If they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet. That was just a symbolic gesture to say, I'm, I'm done with this place as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. What is the power of Jesus like? We see kind of these stories weighted together to help us understand something about the power of Jesus. These are not just, Luke doesn't just write these things down to say, isn't this interesting facts? But he writes them down to teach us to help us, to, to bring something of who God is into our life. And so again, back to the beginning, where is it in your life that something kind of feels stuck? You wonder if change can happen internally, externally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever it might be. What is the power of Jesus like? What's the power of Jesus like? First is this, it's, it's total. It's, it's complete power. 
we have power, right? You and I have power to some degree, but it's limited. We have a power, but it doesn't have power to defeat anything in our life. I was hanging up some blackout shades in my kid's room, and uh, I've got just kind of a, a little drill that they give to people that don't really know what they're doing. Like the guy at the counter's like, I think you deserve this one. And that works in like fake wood and stuff like that. And that's what I normally drill things into is just, you know, sheetrock and whatever, just normal things. But these walls, they're outward facing in our house and they're just made of, and they're made of concrete. And so in order to get through the concrete, if I use just a normal amateur drill, it's, it's just going to bounce off of the wall, essentially. And I've tried that. That's how I know. So it won't really do anything. It'll just create like a, it'll just take away paint. It's just a paint remover is really all it is. And so I borrowed a drill from a friend and able to use that drill and go straight through the concrete. Here's why I tell you that. Because there, if kind of weak drill meets powerful wall, then the power of the wall is too much for the weak drill to be able to handle. So it takes something more powerful. You have to have a greater power in order to defeat this power. And in our life, we are often at something in some issue like the weak drill. That we come up against something and it's more powerful than us. And so we try and we try and it's just kind of removing paint, but it's not really getting anywhere. And we may try multiple kinds of things. We may try medicine. It might work a little bit, but not quite. We may try more education. If I just knew more, and whether that's formal education or I just need to kind of Google some things and learn some things, if I can kind of learn more, then maybe I can change or this relationship can change or my family can change. We may try to get good advice from people. I think if I get good advice, maybe my spiritual situation will change or my emotional issues I'm struggling with, maybe they will change. And, and a lot of times it feels like we're trying, 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 but we are a weak drill meeting something more powerful than we are. And maybe in your life you've tried all sorts of things and haven't seen the change that you want to see change. And maybe you've prayed. A lot of times, though, the way that we pray is kind of just the extra sauce. We've tried all of these things, and then, okay, yes, I need to make sure I say my prayers also. And a lot of times, change, like in the story, feels laughable. I mean, Jesus gets to the house, and the girl is dead, and they laugh at him when he says that he can do something. This happens in the Bible a handful of times. God says, I can give you a child, and people laugh. Jesus says, I can bring healing here, and people laugh. A lot of times the things in our life feel laughable. If someone said, this can change, we might just laugh and say, okay, yeah, thanks. Thanks, I, you know, I've tried that. Thank you. But what this shows us that Jesus' power is like is that it is total. Look at these just handful of things. A demon-possessed man he had an only daughter. She was dying. Think about um, his condition, the father's condition, emotional pain that he is experiencing with his only daughter dying. A woman suffering from bleeding. You've got a physical condition and an emotional condition, a social condition. 
And then the death of the girl. Everyone was crying and mourning for her because she is dead. You have all of these situations, whether they are spiritual, emotional, relational, being kind of socially outcast, death, all of these different things. But the power of Jesus is such that whatever the power of Jesus meets, it does not stand against him. That the power of Jesus is greater It is not the weak drill. The power of Jesus, any power that it meets, whether it's relational or physical or social or spiritual or death itself, whatever power that would stand against Jesus, when Jesus meets those things, his power is greater and it crumbles. It changes. It doesn't matter what the situation is. And even last week, we looked at Jesus calming the sea, which would even tell us over the forces of nature. That no power that stands up to Jesus can last. It crumbles. Even in this, you see many times that using the language of people falling to their knees before Jesus. That any power in your, any force in your life, any area in your life where you would say, it seems like nothing that I have done, no power that I have exerted has been able to move this wall down. When the power of Jesus touches that, it crumbles. This is still true for us today. I don't know where you're stuck. I don't know where you want to experience change. But one of the things that Luke is trying to get across to us by the different accounts, the different kinds of stories, is that his power is total. This is true still today. Jesus hasn't changed. This is true for our life. His power, when it meets anything, crumbles every other power. And secondly, his power is tender. It's total and it's tender. Think about these stories and his interaction with these people. The man that he heals from the demons says, begged him earnestly to be with him. You wouldn't beg someone to to not just have more of their power, but to beg them to be around them, to be with them. If you hadn't experienced something of that person's love and mercy and compassion and grace, this man had tasted that. He had been completely restored to something totally new, and he now wants to be with Jesus. Think about this, it says, while he was going, so Jesus is going and the crowds are crushing him and he singles in on one man who's struggling with something, his daughter. There might, sometimes we can feel like we're just one in a crowd and so why would God pay attention to me? We can feel like we're we're just, man, there's some, you know, billions of people on this earth, hundreds of thousands of people in our city. Who am I? And with all of the crowds crushing in on Jesus, he he responds to the need of one person. That's compassion. That's a tenderness. And then I I love even just these two. He, He says to the woman who has been suffering for 12 years, he calls her daughter. The only time Jesus says that to somebody. He looks at her and says, daughter. That's a tenderness. He's got power. It's a tenderness. And then even this, the little girl, he, he takes her by the hand. Jesus doesn't have to touch her hand. Jesus has healed people for, just with the, the word of his mouth, saying, go home and, and that person will be healed. But he reaches down and holds her hand. And then 
when she is raised from death, what does he do? He gives her the thing that every little kid wants, a snack. I mean, that's, that's a tender, like that's, I mean, there's no reason that he could have just healed her in such a way that she was full. But Jesus holds her hand and says, get the girl some goldfish crackers, come on. He, he gives her food. Listen, I, we, this is one of the amazing things about Jesus, right? Is that God, when you think about God, this is part of why, part of why, there's so many reasons, obviously, but part of why God came to earth in Jesus is because it's hard for us to wrap our mind around God. And we think about the all-powerful God, or even God is love, but that can be so abstract. To think God is the all-loving God. What does that mean? It means holding by the hand. You want to know what a God of love looks like? It means a snack. It means picking the one out of the crowd. It means a word that says, daughter. What is his power like? It's total and it's tender. Sometimes I think we we are suffering. We're going through things, that area that you wonder, can it change? Will it change? And we wondered, God, do you care about this? Do you care about this? Why have you not done something about this? Do you, do you see the struggle that I'm having? This story reminds us. Je- Listen, Jesus hasn't changed. He, the same Jesus that thought about the snack, the same Jesus that thought about holding the hand and calling, that's still who he is today. And so when he looks at your life in the areas that you want change in, he sees you, he feels what you feel, and he cares for you. His power is tender. And maybe the hardest one of these, his power is timed. His power is timed. In all of these stories, one of the features is waiting. One of the features is waiting for a long time. He had worn no clothes, stayed in the tombs. A woman suffering for 12 years. And then even different from these ones, this is probably years and years. This man, maybe it's a matter of 30 minutes or maybe it's a couple hours. We don't know. But what we know is that he's waiting. He, 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 was, on the, he was on the list. He took his number and he was next in line to get healing for his daughter. And then this woman cuts in line. She doesn't even go through the normal measure. She just grabs the back of Jesus' robe. And now all of a sudden she's getting healed. And imagine him knowing there's this urgency. I came to Jesus. I asked for something. Jesus accepted, but we got to get to the house. Jesus can heal sickness, but can he heal death? I don't know. He's waiting now as Jesus is taking his time with this woman. Who touched me? Everyone in the crowd denies it. The guy's like, come on! Somebody admit it. Finally, she admits it. Then she's telling her whole story of what happened, it says. Well, the first year of my life, here's what. And the guys, I mean, I've got to imagine feeling like, come on. And he's having to wait. And then... It's too late. He gets the report that she's dead. 
See, in all of these stories, there's a feature of waiting for Jesus to act, whether that's maybe almost a lifetime, whether that's 12 years, whether that's minutes or hours that feel like years. And we've had those experiences. Living with pain, living in the waiting. Have you asked Jesus to do something in your life? And it hasn't happened. Have you, maybe even sermons like this are kind of hard for you. Have you asked Jesus to show up and change something? And you thought he would. Maybe even like this guy, you thought that the answer was yes. And now you're still waiting. And maybe even you're watching him do things for other people. You're seeing prayers that you've prayed for other people come to pass. But you're still waiting. You're seeing other people experience his blessing. You're seeing other people experience his power. You're seeing other people get yeses and you are still waiting. I know I have had those and those have been the most painful things I've experienced in my life. Well, I've asked God for something and I've waited. And I thought he was answering and it was waiting, waiting. Those are some of the most painful places to be. It's a pastor in our family of churches named Sam Storms. He's an author. And he, he says this that I thought was helpful. He says that delays are not necessarily denials. That God's delay doesn't mean that it's a denial. Delays are not necessarily, maybe they are, but the delays where you've asked God to do something in your life are not necessarily him saying no. But we're waiting, and it's hard. But the truth is, in those moments where we wait is oftentimes where he is strengthening us the most. I don't, I don't like exercise. I think it's bad. Uh, <laughs> but when I do exercise, I like active things. I like to hike I like to play basketball. I like to do push-ups even, things where you're moving and doing something. The kind of exercise that I hate the most is exercises like stretching, where you're not doing anything. You're just holding out your leg and sitting there. Or a plank, where you just sit there and go, how long can I sit here and feel pain? Let's see. That's, those are the worst kind of exercises, but I think that that is actually a lot of what our spiritual life is often like. That we are waiting in a plank position, and it feels like nothing's happening. It feels like we're doing nothing. It feels like God is doing nothing, and we're just in the plank position, but it's there that he's strengthening us while we wait. It's there that in the pain of waiting, you're actually growing stronger. He's actually doing things in your life. His power is timed. His power is timed, which means this. He sees your life. And if you're waiting, that does not mean that you are forgotten. If you are waiting for 12 years, if you are waiting for maybe just hours if you are waiting for a lifetime, it doesn't mean that he has forgotten you. His power 
is total. His power is tender, and his power is timed. Second thing is, how do we access the power of Jesus? How do, how do we get that? What does it take to get it? Do we have to perform something to get it? Do we have to do some kind of right prayer or right thing that allows us to kind of get the power? A lot of times when we think about God's power, there's certain rituals or things or practices and even in other religions, maybe we have to talk to the right person that has access to the power or go to the right shrine or do the right steps, put some sage on it, pray some secret prayer, do some good and earn it and then come back later. How do we get this power? If this is true, how do we get a total power over everything? How do we get the perfectly timed power that we need in our life? How do we get a tender power? How do we access it? And the answer that Jesus gives is faith. He says, your faith has saved you. To the woman, to the man, don't be afraid. Only believe and she will be saved. But this is such an important clarification that it doesn't mean the power of our faith. It doesn't mean how much faith you can kind of muster up. And if I believe enough, then God will do it. That becomes a work in and of itself to say, if I've got enough of this and can show God how much faith I have, it's kind of like the hammer that you hit. And if my faith goes and reaches the right point, then God will say, yay, you get the big teddy bear and here's your prize. That's not what it is. It is not the power of our faith. It is the object of our faith. Jesus, which is why Jesus tells the disciples in another place that if your faith is as small as a mustard seed, which is to say your faith can be just barely visible because it's not the the power of our faith. It's the person that we are putting our faith in, that we believe he is, we believe what we just looked at, that we believe he is powerful. We believe that he is good. And so we come to him. That's what saving faith is. When when he says your faith has saved you, that's always how faith works. Faith saves us from sinners into God's family. Faith saves us when we put our trust in Jesus and say, I believe that you are good. I believe that you are powerful, that you can deal with my sin, that you can forgive me, that you can change me. It's not faith in myself that I can get myself out of this situation, but in who you are. Faith saves us in the ultimate sense spiritually and faith is what saves us in all of these kinds of ways. Going to him saying, I believe that you're powerful. I believe that you are good. I believe that you are wise in your timing. Those three truths, that's what faith is. It's to come to him and say, I believe that you have power, that you're good, and that you are wise. Oftentimes, We can look at our marriage, can look at our emotions, we can look at our relationships, we can look at our physical condition, we can look at all of these things and think it's too far gone. It's laughable to have change. And listen, we might even say as Christians, yeah, I've got faith. I've got faith that God could do something about this person. I've got faith that he could change this. Yeah, yeah, I've got faith. But really? Because what would faith look like? Faith expresses itself 
And if we really believe that he is powerful and that he is good and that he's wise, faith expresses itself in continually coming to him. Not as the last resort, not as the extra kind of seasoning salt on the top, but as the main thing. We say, I, I can't, my abilities are exhausted. I want, I need you. If you are the all-powerful, all-good, all-wise God, I need and want you. What I love about this, too, is that Jesus knows that this is hard, even, to have faith. It's what I love about the second one, that this man had faith, obviously. He came to Jesus and fell down at his feet and said, can you heal my little girl? She's dying. That's faith. But then something kind of interrupts that faith, right? Something disrupts it. He gets the, the news, your daughter's dead, stop annoying Jesus. And it interrupts what he had hoped would happen. And Jesus turns to him, recognizing what's going on, and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Believe. She will be saved. He reassures. See, what gives us, what gives us access to the power of Jesus is faith. But even in that, Jesus is patient with our unbelief. He's patient with our ups and downs and wants to reassure, wants to re-encourage the faith that we have. So how do we access the power of Jesus? Really practically, it just means to go to him, to ask him to do things in your life, to ask him to do things in the lives of other people around you. Though that, whatever that situation is that you say, can change happen here? Is it too late can, can anything take place? I wonder if change can happen. I wonder if it's always going to be like this. Whatever that is, spiritual, physical, emotional, whoever you are, a leader of the synagogue, a little child, old, young, spiritually in sin or suffering, whoever you are, an outcast or an insider, it's to come to him and to ask him, Will you do something about this? Will you change this? And to continue to ask him for his power to enter into our life. And to ask, so practically it looks like to ask him and it looks like to come to him in his word and to listen to him, to listen to him, to hear his voice speaking into those things in our life. And listen, I wish that I could tell you that it always looks like what happens in these stories. That the sickness is always healed. That the issue is always changed instantly. That the death is always reversed. I wish I could tell you that. But that's not always how it works. The way that we access his power is always through faith. But what that power looks like can be different. Paul talks about that he can be content in whatever circumstance he's in. He says, I, I can be content if, I, if I've got food or if I'm hungry. But you know what that means? That means that there's times in his life that he was hungry. I can be content if I'm in prison or if I'm free. That means there's times in Paul's life that 
He was in prison. And listen, there's times in Paul's life where the power of God entered in and opened the doors of the prison. And there's times where he was languishing in prison for years. All alone, he says, where everyone deserted him. One time he says, all of Asia deserted me. All of Asia? Wow. Like I've had some people desert me, but I've never been able to say this continent, all of North America has deserted me. I've never been able to say that, and I hope I don't. But what that's showing us is Paul is able to say, sometimes the power of God enters into my life, and it gives me the supernatural deliverance that we all want to see happen. And sometimes the power of God enters my life where I am, sustaining me, strengthening me, in the plank position, giving me grace. And Paul would tell us, that's not second best. Paul would tell us that's not second best. That's not, that's not the lower class power of God. That still is the power of God. It's still the power of God if in the moment God doesn't deliver the way we want him to, but we experience his grace in new ways. That's still the power of God. If you have to wait for years and years and years and nothing seems to change, we can still have access to the power of God. It gives us joy. It gives us hope. It gives us a nearness to Jesus that we didn't have before. It's a woman named Joni Erickson Tata. She's an author, speaker. She's been paralyzed since she was right after high school, I believe. And she says this. I, I love this. She says, a no answer to my request for a miraculous physical healing has meant, so the no for supernatural has meant this, purged sin a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for his word. It's all to the praise of deeper healing in Christ. See, that's not second best. You couldn't tell her that that's second best. Obviously, she asked God to, to heal her and to allow her to walk and allow her to be free of a chair. But that's not second best. See, what gives us access to the power of God in our life is faith. And sometimes God shows up and supernaturally delivers. Sometimes he delivers like that, which isn't second best. God will always, when we come to him in faith, use his total, tender, and timed power in your life. He will always do that. He's the same Jesus, yesterday, today, forever. Finally, how should we respond to the power of Jesus? How do we respond? Maybe you've experienced this in your life already. Maybe you've experienced supernatural change, the very thing you wanted. Maybe what you've experienced is what Joni Erickson Tata talked about, this internal power change. Maybe you've experienced it already. Maybe you're going to experience it or are experiencing it today or to come. I don't know what it's going to be like for you, but how do we respond to this power? Here's what the stories show us. In all of them, they speak. 
Jesus sends away the man that was demon-possessed, and he says, go back to your home and tell all that God's done for you. In the presence of all the people, she declared, that was the woman with the 12 years bleeding, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. And then even this one, I, I kind of already commented on, he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Even that shows that the impulse in them was to go and tell people. And the time would come for that later. In all these things, the way that the response happens is to speak. I think about this guy, a demon-possessed man. He got everything that he probably would have ever wanted. He had been rejected outside of the community, living in tombs. He had been tormented. He had experienced tons of pain. He had been distant from God. Jesus gives him everything he ever wanted. And what it says is then he begs Jesus to be with him. And Jesus says, no. Imagine that. Jesus gives him everything he ever wanted and then sends him away. This guy says, all I want to do is now be a disciple. Make me number 13, Jesus, put me in. And he says, no. He sends him away. But what's amazing is this is the first man, even before the apostles, that gets commissioned to go preach the gospel. Even before the apostles, this man gets a commission from Jesus. He gets something better even than being with Jesus. He gets a mission from Jesus. To hear God's word in our life is always to share it. To experience his saving is always then to go and serve. To be comforted by God is always to use that to then comfort others. He was the first one. You see, God has the power to turn demons into disciples. He has the power to change pain into preaching, to change torment into testimony. That's what he did here with all of these people, and that's what he wants to do in and through our life. And then the apostles, he gave them the same commission. He sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick, the very things that he had been doing. And listen, this is important because this is the normal way we actually experience Jesus' power in our life. The village that the demon-possessed man went to, maybe some of them, do you think, said, I, well, I want the guy, I want Jesus. Who are you? You've only been doing this for like a day. Right before this, you were naked. Like, why should I listen to you? But the normal way that we experience the power of God is actually secondhand, thirdhand, fourthhand. I mean, when the apostles went into the villages, people might have been saying, where's Jesus? Sorry, it's just me, Matthew. Weren't you a tax collector just a little bit ago? But the way that we normally experience the power of Jesus is through the people that he has commissioned. The way that we experience the power of the apostles today is through their written word, the Bible. The way that we experience the power of God today, most of the time, is not going to be Jesus directly showing up. It's going to be through the church. It's going to be through the people that he has sent. It's going to be through other people in your life who have experienced the power of Jesus in their life and then minister that to you. The way your friends and your family are going to experience the power of Jesus is going to be through you. This is what this means for us. It means that we are sent by Jesus. It means that if we want people to experience the power of God, 
we don't just pray for him to do a miracle in their life. We go to them, that Jesus is our savior and he is our sender. That's what he did for the man that was demon-possessed. That's what he does with the apostles. That's really what the church is about. The way that people experience the power of Jesus today is still secondhand, thirdhand, through the testimony of Jesus, through his word, through what he has authorized and empowered, through the apostles, through those that he has indwelt by the Holy Spirit, which is Christians, to be sent by him. We all want to see change in our life. We all want to see different things change. I don't know what it is for you, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, whether it's for you or for someone else, whether it's internal or external. I don't know what it is. We all want things to change. We need power. We need power greater than what we have. And the way that comes to us is through Jesus. This is true for you. Through faith. Maybe you've given up hope. Maybe you're not sure where you stand. But imagine Jesus' power coming into your life and either totally changing that thing or totally changing you. That's what he offers. For whatever the situation is, that is what is available to us today. Same Jesus, same power, same compassion, same wisdom. That's available to us today. So as we enter a time of communion, want to encourage you to confess to God where you have not believed, where you have relied on your own strength and your own power and, and other resources and other things. Confess where you have neglected to trust and have faith in who he says he is. To confess where you've been impatient waiting and frustrated, believing even lies about him that he's not good and he doesn't care, he doesn't know what he's doing. Confess where you even compromised what you know is right since he is not giving you the things that you want. And, and then ask him to do something. Ask him to do something in you. Ask him to do something around you. Ask him to do something through you. Listen, if this is true, if this is who Jesus is, how could we not ask him? How could we not ask him to do a miracle? I believe Jesus can deliver you from spiritual bondage and oppression today. I believe that Jesus can heal you today. I believe that Jesus can change situations emotionally and spiritually and physically still today. And what if our lack of faith keeps us from experiencing the power of God? I don't want that for any of us. I don't want that for me. I believe he can do supernatural things outside of us and inside of us, like Joni Erickson Tata said. That may be the miracle that he does. And so I want to encourage you to take this time, confess, Ask him to work. Ask him to work through you, to send you. Maybe he has already done things in your life. Ask him to send you, to open your mouth, to speak, to serve. 
When we take communion, we're remembering his body broken, his blood shed to defeat the power of Satan, to defeat the power of sin, to defeat the power of death. That it looked like on the cross that Jesus had finally met a power he couldn't defeat. It looked like on the cross that Satan had won, that sin had won, that death had won. But like we sang before, Jesus defeated death. He laid death in the grave instead through the resurrection. And you know what the Bible says later? That the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is the power that's available to us in our life. So when you take communion, remember the defeat of Satan, sin, and death and the power that he wants to give in us and through us. I'll be in the back if anyone would like prayer. Me, some other folks will be in the back. If you would like prayer for healing, emotionally, spiritually, physically, we'll be in the back. We'd love to pray for you. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. We thank you that you give to us a power that, that we do not have on our own. Jesus, I pray that even today, you would let your power be active in our church and that you would do work in us, that you would do miracles, that you would answer prayers. And Lord, let your power be done through us. May we be sent to speak, to serve, just as you commissioned the apostles. In your name we pray. Amen.